Hello, and welcome to episode number 47 of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, I am your host, Exoacadamian. For those of us intimately familiar with the data behind what we commonly refer to as the UFO phenomenon, one thing is abundantly clear. We are being visited by beings that are not conventionally human. Beings that, for lack of a better term, we call aliens. Aliens here being a term that, in its most general sense, simply means other, and doesn't necessarily refer to intelligences arising from some far-flung star system, i.e. outer space. Furthermore, not only are we being visited by these aliens, but they, some of them anyway, are interacting with us in some very bizarre and, for some, disturbing ways, including, apparently, for the sake of harvesting genetic material and even to create what, for all intents and purposes, appear to be hybridized offspring, beings that are part alien and part human. That's the what of the UFO phenomenon. That's what's been observed in terms of what's happening. Again, these are complex matters that, as I've argued time and time again, likely involve various phenomena, plural, underlyingly consisting of multiple actors and multiple agendas, and involving origins that may be as diverse as the types of beings described. In that sense, extraterrestrials, interdimensionals, extradimensionals, etc., are very likely, according to my view, all in the picture. In other words, I tick the all of the above answer on that particular multiple choice question. But now that we've identified much of the what's happening piece, and here I'm specifically referring to craft in our skies that show evidence of technology that is not only sophisticated, but that also shows clear evidence of the apparent warping of space-time, and to beings that are taking people aboard craft and elsewhere, and performing strange biological experiments, and harvesting genetic reproductive material, and then often introducing the apparent hybridized offspring to human beings, sometimes to perform various bonding procedures, the question now turns to the why. Why would they be doing this? Well, amongst numerous postulated explanations, one that stands out from the pack, from my point of view, is the notion that these others, or again, a certain segment of them, are in some way related to modern human beings, and that their endeavor to extract genetic material from us is because they need this material somehow. In fact, experiencers have repeatedly been told messages such as, if we could do this in any other way, we would, or we do this because it's necessary. Now, while this might sound outlandish at first glance, how would they be related to us, some might ask? That question becomes much simpler to answer once you add in the possibility of time travel. And this brings us to the future human hypothesis, the notion that these others, or again, at least some of them, are our very own progeny, perhaps coming from the distant future, who now look like the quintessential gray alien because they've evolved on an earth that has decidedly different environmental conditions than the one we live on today. Now, when you tie in reports arising from deeply embedded intelligence community sources suggesting there is evidence these aliens are indeed future humans, and not just one group, but multiple factions coming from different points in time downstream from our present day, and that their reason for being here is tied to the arising of some kind of cataclysm that is supposedly going to happen in our not very distant future, 
then much of the total picture begins to take shape, at least potentially. But how likely is it that these others, some of them anyway, may actually be neo-humans, our very descendants? And how credible is the notion that they may be here to manipulate our timeline as it pertains to some near-future cataclysm? And how might this apparent apocalyptic event relate to previous cataclysms that have happened in Earth's history? Cataclysms that may actually be recurring events, events that perhaps only arise once every few thousand years or so. These are the intriguing and essential matters we'll seek to engage with in this, the 47th episode of the Point of Convergence podcast. As we begin this week's podcast, I'd just like to point out that this is part two of a series discussing this future human hypothesis, and specifically this hypothesis as it pertains to intel arising from intelligence community sources. So if you haven't heard episode 46 yet, I'd suggest you go back and listen to that first. This will make a lot more sense once you've done that. Now, last week we spoke about the notion that various intelligence sources have shared details suggesting that some, and I want to stress that word some because we'll come back to that, some of these beings associated with the UFO phenomenon are actually us from the future. Future humans who have traveled backwards in time, not just to sightsee and take in an educational journey into understanding their ancestors, but very specifically with the intention of affecting the timeline as it pertains to an apparent cataclysm that lies somewhere in our near future. And as I explained last week, when we speak of the near future, we're talking about within a decade's time. Now, as I also mentioned last week, this attempted manipulation of the timeline apparently involves numerous future human factions. One or more of these groups come from our not very distant future, perhaps only a few decades from now, in fact, and this faction or factions look the same as we do. This element of future humans is apparently involved to help us avoid or at least mitigate this calamitous event that currently exists as an eventuality in our timeline. The other faction or factions are coming from a much more distant point in the future, so much so that the evolutionary curve has resulted in them looking like the stereotypical gray alien we're all familiar with in the UFO phenomenon literature. This element of future neo-humans actually wants this cataclysm to take place, allegedly, because it is the historical event that leads to the eventuality where they come into existence. Now, in my mind, I think it may be somewhat more complicated than gray neo-aliens want the cataclysm and the ones that look like us do not, but we'll get to that later. Now, this week, in part two of this discussion, we'll go into greater detail on the reported motivations of these future neo-humans, and we'll discuss whatever evidence exists to support the idea. Not only that this is going on, but that it has been going on for some time. Indeed, one of the intriguing, if perplexing, aspects of this is that reports suggest different factions have been leapfrogging each other further and further into the past in order to set the timeline agenda, as it were. But before we get there, I first want to back up and out of this specific line of intelligence that is arising from these sources within the intelligence community as it pertains to a near future calamity and discuss the likelihood of the possibility in general that part of what we're seeing in the UFO phenomenon is future humans, 
even ones that now look quite different from us, time traveling into our present. Now, in examining the possibility that some of these aliens may actually be us from the future, it would be helpful to consult someone who has a specific background in this. I do not. However, we do have someone to turn to who does have an educational and research background highly pertinent to this specific topic. And that's Dr. Michael P. Masters. Masters is a professor of biological anthropology at Montana Tech in Butte, Montana. He received a PhD in anthropology from The Ohio State University in 2009, where he specialized in hominin evolutionary anatomy, modern human variation, archaeology, and biomedicine. And of course, each of those specialties are highly pertinent to what we're talking about today. Now, as it turns out, not only does Masters have a relevant educational background as it pertains to the possibility that gray aliens may actually be genetically related to us, but he has a long-standing interest in the UFO phenomenon and really believes people are seeing what they're seeing and that abductees slash contactees really are being interacted with by real beings that look exactly as described. Furthermore, Masters, after having examined the evidence, taking into consideration his background in evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine, has written a book titled Identified Flying Objects, a Multidisciplinary Scientific Approach to the UFO Phenomenon. Now, as the title hints at, Masters believes the evidence, especially when considered within the purview of evolutionary biology, suggests we can identify some of the beings piloting these sophisticated craft buzzing in and around our skies. He believes the evidence strongly suggests these beings are us from the future. Let's quickly review Master's main point regarding why he thinks the future human hypothesis is the best fit for much of the data we've gathered. First, from a physics point of view, we now understand that space and time are not distinct matters. We discussed that last week, but actually an integrated fabric. We also now believe that time travel is not only possible, but potentially even quite realizable as a pragmatic technology within the next few decades. And again, that time frame, a few decades, would put us into the time period where some of these first human groups are supposedly coming back according to the reports of these intel sources. Secondly, and most importantly, as it pertains to Masters and his specific educational background, the quintessential gray aliens are, from Masters' point of view, almost certainly related to us in some way. In fact, he can't imagine a realistic scenario where they wouldn't be related to us. When he considers three groups, chimpanzees, contemporary homo sapiens, and gray aliens, what he sees are three groups that clearly share a genetic lineage. And now I'd like to quote from Master's book when he talks about how he came to this conclusion. Quote, As a young child growing up in a small town in the honorary Bible Belt of the American Midwest, I knew very little about the process of biological change and even less about the long history of human evolution on this planet. Though even then, it was evident that the human in the center of this mental portrait resembled both the chimpanzee to the left and the alien to the right, which led me to wonder if they could be somehow related. 
As a quick aside, the image he's talking about is the image on the front cover of Whitley Strieber's book, Communion. Quoting again from the book, Over time, I came to understand in great detail the process of evolutionary change and the phylogenetic relationships among extant, living, and extinct, non-living organisms. While developing this scholastic knowledge, it became increasingly clear how each of these three seemingly distinct forms could all come to possess such similar traits, as I would later understand them, if they all shared the same common ancestor as part of a shared evolutionary history here on Earth. Furthermore, if the suite of characteristics common to each of these three forms was a result of common ancestry, then these extraterrestrial aliens would not be extraterrestrial at all. Rather, they may be better understood as the product of further human evolution on this planet, following many millennia of continued biological and cultural change. In other words, these aliens, rather than being from a different planet in a distant solar system, may simply be us from a different time in the distant future. Our tiny branch within the 3.5 billion year old tree of life is known as the hominin lineage. It began about 6 to 8 million years ago when our ancestors started to diverge from what would eventually become the common and pygmy chimpanzees, our closest living relatives on this planet. Although we each possess a number of unique biological and behavioral traits, what most clearly defines the human lineage is our bipedal form of locomotion i.e. habitual upright walking. This seemingly insignificant change in the way we get from one place to another actually had far-reaching implications for the subsequent development of our advanced culture and biology. Not least among these was the impact that bipedalism had on our brain size as it helped to create more space within the skull for a larger brain to grow. Standing and walking upright also freed our hands from the burdens of moving our bodies, which meant that our hands and highly dexterous digits could now be used for all sorts of new and innovative tasks, which also helped to advance our culture and intellect. In the context of the aforementioned mental picture, partially invoked by the cover image on the book Communion, these shared traits alone suggested to my primitive eight-year-old mind that modern humans could potentially represent an intermediate stage between this small-brained, large-faced, chimpanzee-like, early hominin form and the large-brained, small-faced, alien-like, extraterrestrial form. As I worked towards becoming a professor of biological anthropology with a specialization in human evolutionary anatomy and modern human variation, it became increasingly evident that if these aliens are in fact real, then they must be part of the hominin lineage, and clearly toward the future end of our current position along the fourth dimension of space-time. Additionally, in the same way that we have come to understand the current human condition by examining the morphology and culture of our hominin ancestors, it seemed reasonable that these aliens of time may also be working to probe their own evolutionary past by dint of the much more sophisticated anthropological tool of time travel." Unquote. Now, even if the future human hypothesis was not high on your list of potential explanations for the UFO phenomenon, perhaps even if it wasn't on your radar whatsoever, I hope after considering what Masters said there, you'll reconsider. 
I certainly have after hearing his argument in detail and considering other lines of evidence that I've come across over the last several weeks. Now, while the future human hypothesis does not make mute the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, in other words, these are not at all mutually exclusive hypotheses, the chances that these specific entities, the bipedal hominids we colloquially call the greys, are coming from a different planet are almost nil. And that's of course because life arises and then adapts to its native environment. And greys not only look like us in all of the ways that really matter, two eyes, two ears, two arms, two legs, walking upright, relatively large brains in comparison with head and body size, etc. But they look like creatures that have arisen, adapted, and evolved within an environment like the Earth. Now, considering the immensity of the cosmos, there are very likely to be very Earth-like planets existing elsewhere in some far-flung star system. But when you think about it, the chances that the life that arose in those distant planets just so happened to be the ones visiting our Earth is not nearly as elegant and simple an answer, is that these are just us, either from some future time period or from some alternate Earth, a parallel reality if you want to lean towards the many worlds hypothesis. The term masters applies to these specific others, groups that have arisen in either one or more timelines all downstream, if you will, from our present time, is extratempestrials. Now, beyond the biological evidence that is staring us in the face when we compare humanoid types like the greys and contemporary homo sapiens, another key piece of evidence that supports the notion that these are future humans is the genetic experiments and hybridization programs that are such a dominant aspect of the alien abduction literature. It should be obvious to us that while ETs might be interested in our genetic material, hypothetically, it should be obvious that a group that are somehow genetically related to humans would have a very clear reason for wanting to harvest genetic material. This is even more the case when we connect this to our intel information, suggesting these greys are humans who have arisen in our distant future, post-apocalypse, and because of this, they are genetically impoverished in several ways, and need what is called the genetic variance their ancestors, i.e. us, would offer, in order to strengthen their stock so as to increase the likelihood of their own survival. Masters makes the point that even with a sample size of millions or even billions, if you have no novel genetic variants, meaning everyone is breeding with people who share their same genetic background, eventually you'll end up with genetic defects like the ones we see with inbreeding. If the greys have evolved in an environment where their numbers are greatly diminished as compared to our contemporary human population, then it's very likely that they would end up experiencing these detrimental genetic effects. Now, furthermore, let's be clear. Experiencers have seen babies being grown in test tube-like environments on board craft and women have repeatedly reported becoming spontaneously impregnated with no sexual contact, and have later had babies mysteriously disappear from their wombs basically overnight. Likewise, men have repeatedly reported having sperm extracted while they are on board craft. 
and both men and women have repeatedly been introduced to so-called hybrid children that they recognize as a combination of their own and something like a gray alien's genetic material. Now, to make this argument even stronger, we might consider the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation results as it pertains to the Experiencer Research Survey. What did they find? They found that the most common types encountered were not actually graves. They were second when you separate small and tall graves. The first type encountered were human-looking beings, beings that looked no different than us, basically, or if there were differences, they were minute. That was the number one type. The second types were tall and small graves. Of course, you also have groups like Nordics, which again, while being somewhat different, are clearly not just humanoid, but human. They are basically us, a just slightly different variation on us. So, when one begins to take into consideration all of these different factors, then this line of thinking begins to make a lot of sense. It seems like a very elegant solution to explain some of what's happening with the UFO phenomenon. Now, in last week's episode, I mentioned that two of my main sources are credible individuals such as veteran Australian journalist Ross Coulthart and former British intelligence officer and now intelligence analyst Frank Milburn. Now, both of these individuals have heard from their sources, people that they trust and with whom they've had a long-standing relationship, that some of the UFO phenomenon involves these very future neo-humans, both factions that look like us and others who look more like quintessential greys, who have time traveled into our present day in order to impact the arising of a cataclysmic event that lies somewhere in our not very distant future. Again, here we're talking about sometime between now and about 2030. Now, some of these factions apparently are endeavoring to prevent this event from occurring, while others, namely at least some of the greys from the more distant future, are working to ensure it does take place, since that event creates the chain of events that ultimately leads to their origin. In other words, they are working on survival instinct. These same sources within the intelligence community say these greys are tailing contactees slash abductees that they are indeed aliens from distant planets so as to disguise their true intention slash reason for being here and now. It's worth noting here that some of the nonsensical space origins that have been provided historically by some of these greys make more sense if one sees them as part of a grey, neo-human disinformation campaign meant to appease our curiosity without revealing their true origin and agenda. Now, how might we know whether or not this timeline manipulation is taking place? Well, one notion has already been discussed in and around our society, though not often in light of neo-human grey aliens from our own future. Here I speak of the so-called Mandela Effect, incidents where people have memories of historical events that now have no record of having ever taken place. That would of course be the case if you were in one timeline and then because of some kind of manipulation ended up in another timeline over the course of your life. According to these intelligence sources, there also exists evidence in certain movies and books from over the last century where events described no longer line up with our historical record. 
we already discussed the genetic harvesting and the hybridization programs as being potential lines of evidence to support the notion that some of these others are actually our future descendants, coming back to gather genetic material to enrich their depleted genetic stock. In addition to that, it is argued that when certain human beings find themselves suddenly and miraculously saved by what they perceive as aliens, it's actually these future neo-humans intervening because that individual's survival is a key component in a future timeline that they want to see come to fruition. The so-called butterfly effect also comes into play here because with the aid of very sophisticated quantum computers and advanced artificial intelligence, a future faction of our species could target very specific and largely imperceptible to us changes in our timeline that would nevertheless be the minimum intervention needed to ensure a future outcome or timeline. Now again, if these different factions of future humans are here primarily in regards to a cataclysm, supposedly due to a rise in our near future, what would the nature of this cataclysm be? We already discussed the very broad brushes of either environmental disaster or nuclear catastrophe, or some combination of the two. Now, we know we are susceptible to objects and debris that pass near the orbit of the Earth. Take, for instance, the example of the Chelyabinsk meteor that struck in Russia in 2013. According to Wikipedia, the object exploded in a meteor airburst over Chelyabinsk Oblast at a height of around 29.7 kilometers, the explosion generated a bright flash, producing a hot cloud of dust and gas that penetrated to 26.2 kilometers, and many surviving small fragmentary meteorites. The bulk of the object's energy was absorbed by the atmosphere, creating a large shock wave with a total kinetic energy before atmospheric impact estimated from infrasound and seismic measurements to be equivalent to the blast yield of 4 to 500 kilotons of TNT. 26 to 33 times as much energy as that released from the atomic bomb detonated at Hiroshima, and the rough equivalent in energy output to the former Soviet Union's own mid-August 1953 initial attempt at a thermonuclear device. Now here this part is really key, so I want you to listen to this. Again, quoting from Wikipedia, quote, the object approached Earth undetected before its atmospheric entry, in part because its radiant source direction was close to the sun." Unquote. Now, compared to the size of other objects that may potentially impact with the Earth, this was just a pebble. Objects miles wide exist out there, and we are at risk of being struck by them. We know these cataclysmic events have happened before in Earth's history, repeatedly in fact. The global flood story that is told in the Bible, for instance, resulting in the figure of Noah and his ark, is supposedly based on a real event, and evidence for this exists in the geological record of the Earth. In more recent times, we should be cognizant of the Tunguska event, which was a massive 12 megaton explosion that occurred in the Siberia area of Russia in 1908. Now, because of the timeline, experts believe the Tunguska event was due to an object arising from the Torrid meteor belt. This same trail of debris, including some massive objects, is what's thought to be the likely cause of the impact that led to the global flood recorded in the NOAA event we discussed earlier. 
To be clear, I quote, Every 11,600 years or so, we pass directly through the torrid meteor belt. Jupiter does a great job of deflecting most potential meteors from colliding with Earth, but there is now substantial evidence to suggest that 11,600 years ago, an exceedingly large asteroid broke up and rained down upon our planet. This caused the rapid melting of the Northern Hemisphere ice sheets, ending the mini ice age and causing cataclysmic flooding. It is fair to assume that this is the origin of biblical fire and brimstone, as well as Noah's Ark. Unquote. And by the way, that quote is from Graham Hancock. So, clearly, an object in space that impacts the Earth could be the impetus for this cataclysm being referenced by these intelligence sources. Another possibility is a magnetic pole shift, which some experts say we're also overdue for. Now, to be clear, there is mounting evidence that the magnetic pole shift could, indeed, be a cataclysmic event resulting in flooding across much of the world. When the waters finally recede, we'd be left with a landmass covered in a thick layer of mud that has buried the major cities of the world. Those are a couple of options in terms of environmental disasters that could result in this cataclysm that would vastly change, if not destroy, much of our civilization. Of course, as we mentioned last week, the nuclear option is also on the table. Again, there seems to be some unclarity amongst these intelligence sources as to the ultimate nature of the cataclysm. Perhaps that's by design. But either way, a nuclear catastrophe could be on the table or some combination of nuclear and environmental disaster. Now, speaking of nuclear, again, we've covered many times on this podcast the historical record that makes clear that these others, some of them, are interfering with our nuclear facilities, specifically our nuclear weapons facilities. They are able to remotely arm and disarm our nukes. They've done this both in the United States and in the Soviet Union during the Cold War and since then. So that at least makes one think that the nuclear aspect of this might be part of what's going to happen, and that's exactly why they're drawing attention to it. And again, speaking of the nuclear aspect, we have covered on numerous podcasts how there seems to be evidence of an increase in interaction and intervention since the dawn of the atomic era. That seems to be a key period in human history where these others, or at least some of them, began to show up much more often and interact and intervene in our affairs. This again at least provides anecdotal evidence suggesting the nuclear aspect may be part of what's going on here. I also want to make one thing clear here. This escalation in activity and intervention has not been steady since 1945 or so. No, in fact, part of the reason why there seems to be much more activity in Congress and deep within black ops programs that know about this secret is because these others are pressing the matter. Even over the last few years, there has been a clear increase and that these others are making themselves very visible in craft engaging so far peacefully with our military forces. Now, when I spoke with Ross Coulthart about this matter and asked him for a quote pertaining to this more recent brazen behavior by whoever is piloting these sophisticated craft, such as Tic Tacs, saucers, triangles, pyramids, etc., Ross said, quote, 
I have been told as recently as within the past two weeks that the military sightings of these objects are not only increasing, but the number of objects slash craft are dramatically increasing. The shape is not a detail I have, so I can't say tic-tac. It has been suggested the phenomenon might be pushing the transparency agenda. Unquote. Now, again, knowing that the escalation seems to be ramping up, the question again is, why? What's coming? Why are they choosing now of all times to push the envelope? Whatever the case, Intel sources report that there is a real concern that very soon the matter of disclosure will be out of the hands of the deeply embedded black ops programs that hold this secret. Because the intelligence behind the phenomenon, or at least some of them, plan to make their presence known in some obvious plain-as-day way to the entire human population. Again, one can't help but wonder, why? Why now? To what end? And is this connected to some cataclysmic event that lies in our not-very-distant future? Has a non-conventionally human intelligence decided they must push the matter now because our collective leadership has failed to prepare us for a challenging future, perhaps a future that they were long ago warned about? At this point, we can only speculate, but the gathering storm of clues certainly suggests this is one of several possibilities in the mix. And now I'd like to leave you with a few concluding thoughts. First, while I think there are numerous players within the UFO phenomenon, including extraterrestrial, interdimensional, and extradimensional, there is very strong evidence for a future human element as well. And by the way, if these others, these future humans, these neo-human greys, are coming from an alternate timeline in a parallel reality, then you could consider them interdimensional as well. Now, the intelligence community information and extratempestrial hypothesis we've discussed today are, of course, related but separate ideas. You can accept one without the other. You may be convinced of the likelihood of this extratempestrial hypothesis, the notion that these others, some of them, are actually our descendants, even though they are changed because of the evolutionary curve and the nature of the conditions on the Earth at the time where they arise— while still rejecting or highly questioning the intel information that is arising from these IC sources. Now, regarding these future neo-human graves, I'd also like to point out that while we are being told that they are responsible for some of the intentionality towards ensuring that this cataclysm happens because it results in their arising, based on reports from experiencers who have some very positive experiences with graves, and again, that's reflected in the free data, then it seems possible to me that there are multiple factions of greys as well, these neo-human future greys, and that some of them perhaps don't want this cataclysm to happen. They are perhaps here to counter the other greys from their time who are trying to ensure the cataclysm does happen. Just like the TV series Travelers, you had two factions of humans, one group that wanted to prevent a certain event and another group that didn't. And of course, in some ways, this is highly likely. We know that species tend not to agree on everything. There are differences in opinion. Therefore, there may even be multiple factions of these greys, these neo-human future greys, and they may be at odds in terms of their agenda while they're here. Now, truth be told, 
as I pointed out last week, I didn't begin as a supporter of this hypothesis, positing the existence of what Michael Masters calls extratempestrials. In fact, I put off reading his book when it came out because I assumed, notice that word assumed, that he was simply arguing this because he had a bias against the notion of little green men from Neptune. But alas, no, he's making sound arguments based on the totality of the data and based on his strong background in evolutionary biology. Some people seem to think it is anthropocentric to focus on the future human hypothesis. Now, I'd like to remind us all of that definition. Anthropocentrism is the belief that human beings are the central or most important entity in the universe. The term can be used interchangeably with humanocentrism, and some refer to the concept as human supremacy or human exceptionalism. Now, to suggest the future human hypothesis is by definition anthropocentric is faulty logic. No one is saying the only and or most sophisticated intelligent life in the universe is human and or neo-human, but rather that the intelligent life most likely to be directly impacting us on the earth is human and neo-human, especially when witness slash experiencer accounts suggest they are hominids, which strongly supports the notion that they share a genetic lineage with us. Now, expecting aliens from Alpha Centauri to look and think like humans from Earth would be anthropocentric. So the very people who lobby this objection to the future human hypothesis may be perhaps guilty of the very thing they're accusing others of. Bottom line, beware of your biases. Base your arguments on the evidence and all of it, and then try to talk yourself out of that perspective for the sake of argument. Be ever aware of our very human tendency to not only prefer one hypothesis over another, for reasons that have nothing to do with the actual evidence at hand often, but to actually, often subconsciously, ignore data that doesn't fit with a pre-existing belief system slash conclusion, a phenomenon known as confirmation bias. Cognitive bias is a trap we all fall into much too easily. In fact, from my point of view, that's why we need to stay in dialogue with people coming at this from multiple angles and different perspectives to ensure we're not isolating into echo chambers that are based more on preconceived preferences than they are on the totality of the data at hand. And to be sure, in our modern social media-driven world, this happens in numerous fields, topics, and spheres of life, including politics, science, medicine, religion, etc., and not simply in regard to opinions about the potential origins of the intelligences behind what we conveniently lump into the meta-category called the UFO phenomenon. Ultimately, if we don't get better at learning to listen patiently and attentively to each other, and especially to opinions that differ from our own, then not only are we doomed to never finding robust answers to something like the origin and nature of the UFO phenomenon, but we're likely doomed as a civilization altogether, regardless of whether or not this alleged cataclysm is looming on the horizon of tomorrow. And on that note, we've come to the close of another edition of the Point of Convergence podcast. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash exoacadamian. And I just want to offer a huge thank you to those who have become patrons of this podcast. But until next week, friends, 
from deep within the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. This is Exoacademian, signing out.